TLC. Friends. So uh, I've been teaching God's word for like about 25 years now. Uh, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts today, or what is commonly referred to as spiritual gifts. Uh, I've taught on this uh, subject topic uh, multiple times over the last 25 years. Um, I'm going to teach it in a way that I've never taught it before. That may sound a little bit different than how you have experienced it as well if you grew up in church the way that I did. Um, what I hope is that uh, God's Spirit will not just confirm God's Word, but that we will together uh, grow as a church more and more into the things that God desires, that the Spirit desires to do in us and through us. Is that fair? Let me pray for us. Father God, we want all of you. We want to know you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Uh, we want your Spirit to manifest your presence among us, uh, that, that uh, we would recognize and see your glory, experience your power, um, that, uh, God, you would uh, fill us, Spirit, that your gifts um, would be uh, unveiled in our community so that this body might be built up and that your kingdom might move forward. We pray all these things in the name of and because of the sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, um, one of the greatest lines of all time in any movie is this right here. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up, it doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. You've all heard that before, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Stan Lee did not write that line. That line actually goes back to at least 1793 during the French Revolution, where the French National Convention, they said this, one must contemplate that a great responsibility is the inseparable result of a great power. This feels exactly like what the church in Corinth needed to hear, and I think what you and I need to hear from the Lord as well. We're going to be looking at one passage today as kind of an overview of spiritual gifts and what God desires to do. Uh, what I would like to, to do is just give us a, a quick background on what's happening in Corinth. Um, basically, this is really all you need to know, Corinth was one crazy messed up church. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's got all kinds of different things he's correcting, sexual immorality, and they're abusing the Lord's Supper. Some people are getting drunk and eating their fill. Other people don't have any. Like, there's all kinds of issues. Uh, one of the issues is how they practiced these gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul actually writes uh, 1 Corinthians 12, really through 14. We're only going to focus on uh, the first 11 or so verses this morning. Uh, and that's what I want us to do. Now, uh, what I'd like to do is kind of just lay out where we're going this morning, all right? Three things that I'd like to accomplish this morning. Number one, I'd like to explain to you why I'm not convinced that there actually is such a thing as spiritual gifts. If you grew up in the church, that's probably a little shocking and maybe even a little scary. Uh, you might right now think I'm a heretic. Don't walk out on me quite yet. Uh, let's look at God's word together. I do believe that 
God gives us gifts, and I do believe that the Holy Spirit desires to do things in us and through us, so we'll talk about that in a minute. The second thing that I want to do is explain why, regardless of whether I'm right on the first point, all right, that the main point isn't about which gifts you may have, but rather about how you use them and who you use them for. This is a huge deal for Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Did I say Romans earlier? All right, it's a little confusing because we will look slightly at Romans 12 and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. But anyway, third thing I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time talking about the nine things the Spirit does that Paul mentions here, the list that he gives in verses 8 through 10. All right, and then I'd like to close with a final thought. Is that cool? So let's read our text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1 through 14. Apostle Paul says, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, literally the word there is Gentiles, somehow, you, uh, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So he's talking about the kind of worship that they would do in the, many of their pagan rituals. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, or energy, or power, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Did you catch that cool little Trinitarian thing he did right there? Many gifts, same Spirit. Different kinds of service or ministries, same Lord Jesus. Different kinds of working or energy or power, but it's the same God, the Father, at work in all of them. Keep reading with me, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body... Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Uh, the irony of that verse is that here we are 2,000 years later, and we are probably as uninformed or ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit, if not more so than the church in Corinth here just a couple decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know what faith tradition you grew up in. I can only speak uh, to what I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in a church um, that uh, was what we called dispensationalist, which meant that we uh, were taught when I was growing up that the miraculous gifts were no longer in play today. So all the gifts that we just listed in 1 Corinthians 12 no longer um, happen. 
Uh, this actually came out of really a theological tradition uh, more than a biblical one, but they took it from um, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, like I said, chapter 12 to 14 is really one section. Uh, chapter, it's all about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is the love chapter, though, right? You guys have all heard that. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, da, 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 all these beautiful things that love does. We love talking about it at weddings and things like that. But it's really in this section, talking about how they were supposed to use the gifts that the Spirit had given them within the church service. And at the end of the, um, that little section on love in 13, it talks about a time when prophecy and tongues and things, basically what he's just mentioned here in chapter 12, are going to cease. The church that I grew up in said, well, that was when the Bible was finished. So after the last apostle died and the canon of scriptures kind of wrapped up, we no longer need miraculous signs anymore. Uh, the problem is, is that that's just, honestly, it's just really, it's just bad exegesis or, or bad interpretation. Uh, very, very few scholars are willing to say that anymore today. Um, when we look at it, it's very clear that what it says is when these things are going to pass away is when we see Jesus face to face. So what he's talking about is the very end of time when Jesus returns and makes all things new and we're with him face to face. We don't need miracles anymore. We've got Jesus. We won't need healing. All that sin's going to be erased. We won't need any of that anymore. We won't need a, a word of prophecy because God will be with us face to face. We don't live in that time yet though. And, and so the vast majority of even conservative scholars believe that the gifts that are listed here are still in play today. Now, I don't have time to get into why you may or may not see them very often in the American church, although that is something that I would like to do at some point. It's just not going to be in this series. But there is kind of a, uh, an understanding of spiritual gifts that has kind of come along that I'm guessing many of you, if you grew up in the church, probably got uh, similar to what I did as well. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you probably heard kind of an explanation like this. Uh, when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. As a result of you getting the Holy Spirit, uh, you get a gift, a spiritual gift, okay? At least one, uh, maybe two or three if you're lucky, all right? Like if you're really holy, you get like three maybe, you know? Uh, and basically, it's your job to figure out what that gift is and work really hard to like figure out how to wield it, right, to use it. Um, if you grew up in a Pentecostal theological tradition, uh, you might have actually learned or, or been told that uh, you don't actually get the gifts when you become a Christian. You actually get the gifts of the Spirit or a spiritual gift when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, two weeks from now, not next week, but the week after. Um, is that a good theology? Is that something that we ought to uh, apply to our lives, to our church? Uh, is it biblical? We're going to engage with that a little bit later. I'm not going to right here. Um, but that's kind of this idea that like you become a Christian, you get the Spirit, Spirit gives you some uh, one or two or maybe three spiritual gifts, and you got to figure out what those are and how to use them and whatever ones you have. Well, that's just what you have. So we've got three, maybe four places in the New Testament where there is a list of gifts given that we commonly refer to as spiritual gifts. One of those is right here in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, let me show you a little chart that shows some of the other ones. So Romans chapter 12, we get these gifts, prophesying, uh, prophecy, serving, teaching, uh, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, what we just read, okay, you can see those. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, a little bit later, he basically repeats a lot of the same ones, but adds a couple of new ones in, all right? There's a reason for that. It's because Paul's not trying to give 
an exhaustive list. He's just throwing out different things that it could be, all right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there's five other ones that get talked about. Uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Uh, and then 1 Peter 4, you kind of have these two people who speak and people who serve, okay? You could literally right now pull out your phone and type in spiritual gifts inventory, all right? And you could take a test, an inventory, that would spit out to you what it thinks your spiritual gifts are, okay? Kind of like DISC profile, right? Or Myers-Briggs test. And, and you'd get it and you'd be like, oh, I've got this, you know? And like, some of you would be like, oh, like, you know, he got prophecy, uh, you know, but I got celibacy. Like, that doesn't sound like, that, that's not, that doesn't sound fair, right? Or, or like, like, like I, they, why, why, why did they get gifts of healing? Like, that sounds awesome. And I got gifts of serving. Like, they're going to be like healing people, and I'm on, you know, set up and tear down crew. Like, that doesn't seem fair. Uh, but here's the reality, okay? That, that, is, that is not how the church for the last 1,900 years or so has actually understood the gifts of the Spirit. That's really a little bit more of a, of a more recent, really kind of since the 50s and 60s, that we viewed spiritual gifts as, like, there's this list of 20-some, depending upon how you count them, and you've got to figure out what yours is and then figure out, like, the best way to use it. Um, I, would like, I would like to say that I don't think that that's actually correct. I don't think that that's the right way to view what the Spirit does and how he wants to gift his church. Um, I actually think that there is a, a number of different things that God has for us, um, but there's, it's not exactly uh, something that you've got to, to figure out and you just get one and that's just kind of your lot in life. Okay? Now, uh, for us to do this, though, we, we've got to get kind of technical. All right? So I need you to put on your thinking caps. If you're a note taker, uh, grab your notes. This is a great opportunity. We're going to be talking about some, some really, I think, important stuff for us as a church uh, to dive into. So uh, the first thing that I want to do is simply look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. It says, now about the gifts of the Spirit. This is actually a slightly different translation uh, in the newer NIV than the older NIV. It used to say about, the, about spiritual gifts. The ESV actually still says, uh, now concerning spiritual gifts. Most scholars don't think that that's a great way to explain or to interpret this, but we're, nobody's really sure exactly the best way. All right, so uh, what we have here is what gets translated gifts of the Spirit. It's actually a single word in the Greek, pneumatikos. All right, you see pneuma, spirit, breath, wind, pneumatikos. Uh, it really should probably best be, well, the reason that it's a hard one to translate into the English, for us at least, is because in the Greek it's an adjective, but it doesn't have a noun that it connects to. So it's an adjective that, that, that's, that's without a noun. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what is it exactly referring to? So some actually think that it should be translated spiritual people or spiritual ones. Other people think it should be spiritual things. But the most literal interpretation of pneumaticos is spiritual, or in this case it's plural, so spirituals, all right? So it should say now concerning or about the spirituals, all right? Romans chapter 12 actually does not have the word pneumaticos in it. It has the word charisma, okay? It's talking about, that's, that's the Greek word for gifts. It's like a grace gift. Charis is the Greek word for grace. Charisma, charismata, those are like grace gifts. Gifts that God, through the Spirit, gives to the church, okay? Anytime that we see 
lists of what we commonly refer to as spiritual gifts, you never actually see the word pneumaticos and charisma together. Okay, if you go and you look in the original languages, in uh, Romans you don't see it, in 1 Peter they're not together. This is actually the closest place that we have where it talks about the pneumaticos, these things of the Spirit or things the Spirit does. And then a little bit later, like in verse 4, it will talk about different kinds of gifts, all right, charisma, all right, but you don't ever have them together. So what I think is actually happening, and I'm not alone, there's a number of scholars that actually think this, is that Romans 12 is just a list of Gifts, abilities, things that God has given you, all right? That God desires that you would learn what those are, what you're good at, okay? It could be a whole host of things. Uh, what was listed in Romans 12 is not intended to be exhaustive, all right? Uh, Paul never would have thought of a computer programmer, all right? Wouldn't have been in his mind. But that could be a gift that you have, all right? There's all kinds of different possibilities, architecture, cooking, design, teaching children, aeronautics, like there's all What you need to do is figure out what God has given you, and how you can use it for the kingdom of God. So whatever God is given you, this is what I think Romans 12 is actually teaching us. God's given you because, number one, it's from him, and it's intended to be used in conjunction with him to grow the kingdom of God. You're good at administration, which is one of the things that's talked about in Romans 12, or leadership. Awesome. It's maybe aeronautics, or working with kids, or... All, there's a thousand different things that it possibly could be. The point is, if you have a gift, God wants you to leverage it for the kingdom of God. That's to grow up the church, to build it up, to encourage it, strengthen it, because it is through the church and from the church that the kingdom of God comes out into the world. All right, now, I think that the gifts in Ephesians 4, in that list, right, that's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, I actually think those are not gifts at all. They're actually types of leaders within the church. In other words, um, I'm not the gift, all right, that God has been given. The gift of pastor and teacher God has given to the church, and he does it through me because it's the role that he's called me to, but I'm not the gift. Those are just, it's an office, if you will. Uh, uh, I don't even like using the word office because it seems to imply that there's something better about me. No, it's just this gift that the church needs to grow and to expand, okay? So those are five types of leaders within the church. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, though, we have something that we, I think is probably best to call the spirituals. Let, let, let me uh, explain to you. This is uh, Dr. Gordon Fee, a uh, brilliant theologian. He actually wrote a, a book. It's a tome, uh, a thousand pages just on the Holy Spirit. It's literally called God's empowering presence. Remember when I gave you that definition of Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence? That's where it comes from. Uh, I've been working through parts of it. Uh, I've, I told Brenda on my way here today, I feel like I have not, I've never prepared more for a message than I have for this one, and yet still feel the least prepared to give it. <laughs> uh, there's so much to learn and understand. Um, Garland, uh, Dr. Garland wrote a phenomenal commentary as well that's just kind of been like expanding my understanding. Um, but Fee uh, translates Romans chapter 12, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 here, the things of the Spirit, okay? In other words, now about the things of the Spirit, or things that the Spirit does. And then he goes on and lists nine things. These nine things, again, they're not exhaustive. These are just things the Spirit does. If you were to jump down and look in verse 7, okay, read that with me. 
Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation just means an unveiling or revelation. So God unveils himself, reveals himself in the things that the Spirit does. All right? So when we see these things, you're like, wow, that's, that's what the Spirit looks like. That's what the Spirit does. All right? It should make you say, if you see a pneumaticos, right, one of these miraculous things that's talked about here in chapter 12, that should make you say, oh, that's, that's the Spirit. God's revealing himself. Um, I like uh, what John Mark Comer says. John Mark Comer is a pastor at Bridgetown Church. Um, I've been using a lot of uh, his thoughts and ideas in this series. They're not, I mean, I heard them from him. They're not his. <laughs> uh, he's like me. Um, we learn to steal like an artist, okay? So uh, we, we read really smart people, and, and uh, we pull it together. But John Mark says this, and I thought it was really, really helpful. He says, don't read the list and wonder what spiritual gift you have. Rather, think this is the kind of stuff the Spirit of Jesus wants to do through me. When you read those nine things right here in 1 Corinthians 12, don't think, well, I wonder which one of those I might have. Or uh, maybe I have a different one. Think that's the kind of stuff that the Spirit of God wants to do through me. That's the stuff the Spirit does. So um, I said here, okay, because if you remember, uh, Jesus does all those things, right? And what did Jesus say that his disciples were going to do? The same things and greater, right? So even if I'm wrong, okay, and trust me, I've taught spiritual gifts. I've given spiritual gifts inventories to to high school students when I was a youth pastor. Uh, If you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory, you're not sinning, all right? (laughs) It's not like you've, like, fallen in some terrible hole of heresy. You haven't, all right? Uh, Those things can still be helpful in even understanding different ways that God has uh, gifted you, different abilities that he's given you, and how he wants you to then partner with the Spirit to bring those things to help the kingdom move forward, Okay? So even if I'm wrong, it's, it's all right. I don't think that I am. <laughs> I wouldn't teach it if I did, all right? Uh, and it's not original to me. Again, I'm parroting back to you uh, some, uh, some of what the latest scholarship is, is talking about, uh, and I think it's really, really valuable and helpful. However, let's say that I'm wrong. Uh, it is still important for us to understand that four things that I think God wants us to get from this. This is why Paul gave this in 1 Corinthians 12, okay? Number one, uh, There is a diversity of things that the Spirit wants to do. Part of the issue that Corinthians had is they were all about tongues. They thought tongues was like the best expression. There was all kinds of folks that were trying to show how big, bad, powerful their gift was within the service, like getting louder, getting like more intense. And Paul's like, yeah, 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 that is not what God is about. God has a diversity of gifts. Some gifts seem public, other gifts are private or quieter or not as big and explosive, but the body needs all of them, all right? The second thing is that the Spirit is the one who distributes them. You don't get to choose, all right? It's not because how awesome you are. It's just that the Spirit decided to give you that gift. The third thing is they're never for your own sake. It's not to make you look good, all right? That's one of the sad things. Uh, One of the gifts that it talks about is healing. Healing gets such a bad rap because in Christianity, uh, some of the richest pastors around like have the gift of healing, quote unquote. If you've ever been given a gift, it's not for your glory. It's not for you to get rich off of. 
And that's true whether it's a supernatural gift like healing or a gift like leadership or whatever. It's so that you can build up the kingdom of God. So you can see the church expand and and, and grow so that the kingdom moves forward out of it, okay? That's any gift out there. But uh, God doesn't give it for our sake. It's always given for the building of the church and for the sake of others, all right? So I want you to think of that when we talk about spirituals or spiritual gifts or gifts that the Spirit gives us. The Spirit absolutely does give us gifts. I just don't want you to think, which one do I have? I want you to think, hey, if I'm right, okay, and 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 I think that I am or I wouldn't be teaching this, The gifts that are listed here are available to anyone in God's church. If God desires that he wants to give that to you, he can. And it's not that you have this thing and now you're like some, you know, awesome, you know, check. Like, check me out. Look what I got. No, 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 no. It's never about you anyway. It's always about what God gives you for the sake of others. So um, we talked about the Peter Parker principle, right? I like that Peter Parker principle, right? With, With great power comes great responsibility. Anytime God gives you something, a gift, it's always with great responsibility to then see how it is going to be passed on to the church. So what I'd like to do now uh, is simply um, I want to talk about the nine manifestations that are talked about here. Is that cool? So I'd like to run through each of those uh, and give little examples uh, because uh, I still think that these are all in play. I'll be honest, I, I called up uh, Dr. Burge, uh, Gary, uh, Friday night. I was working on the message on Friday night. I was just struggling. Because sometimes, like, I read this stuff, and I don't know about you, but, like, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm an American. I'm smart. I went to community college, right? Like, I don't, we don't really got to believe that this stuff is, like, real still, right? Now, I know that that's not true. But sometimes I feel like that. Like, do you ever feel like you're skeptical? I am. Way more than I probably ought to be. And I, and I called him up and I was just talking through some of the stuff. And one of the things that Gary said to me is he's like, you know, whenever I teach on this, he's like, um, one of the things that I try my best to do is to do everything I can not to grow people's skepticism, but rather to grow their hope. And I was like, Gary, that's such a great word. Uh, so my desire this morning is to say to you, I think these things are still in play. I will take a week in the future to talk about why I think we maybe don't see these things as often, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Spoiler alert, I think it's probably a bad thing. But what I'd like to say is these are available, and we want to be a church that says we're going to be biblical. We're going to trust what God's word says to the very best of our ability, right? We're going to trust it, even if it makes us seem a little weird to other folks. I want all of God. I want everything that his word says for me. I want to trust him. Even, and and again, God gets to decide when and how he distributes the gifts. But I think the more that we're open, passionately desiring all that God has, the more we get an opportunity to see his spirit at work among us. So, uh, nine manifestations, starting in verse 8. The first one is a message of wisdom. Message of wisdom. This is a message from the spirit through you to someone else who needs wisdom for life. Okay? Pretty simple. So, um, let's say that uh, you've been married for five years. Your husband's put on 30 pounds. It's not from CrossFit. 
and uh, you're just like not sure you're in love with him anymore, and you're thinking maybe I should divorce him, okay? You don't need a word of wisdom, okay? Most of the time, everything we need is right here, okay? God's word gives us most of the time everything we need to know. You don't need a word of wisdom on whether you should divorce your husband because he's put on 30 pounds, right? Uh, God's word is clear. That marriage is intended for one man and one woman till death do us part. Now, if you've been married five years and you are committed to your church, you feel a calling by God to be a part of it, to see his kingdom come in the city that he's planted you in, and you're connected to a small group community that's bringing you life and that is sharpening you and shaping you, and an opportunity comes up for a job overseas, There is no passage in scripture that's going to tell you what to do. That's where you may need a word of wisdom. That's where you may need. Now, sometimes God gives us these, right? His Holy Spirit is in us, wants to speak to us and help guide us. But sometimes God will give that as a gift to someone for you. Maybe you're here today and you need that. Maybe that very thing, maybe it's not overseas, maybe it's just another state, but you're like, I love this place, I know what God's up to, I feel called to it. Maybe you need to come and pray with the prayer team this morning and just say, God, do you have something for me? I'm here. I need a word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is the same, is uh, very similar to a message of wisdom. A message of knowledge, he says, right, to another, a message of knowledge. It's a similar idea to messages, all right, from the Spirit for someone else but it's something you couldn't know outside of yourself, all right? It's not something that you saw on social media, all right? You didn't hear somebody whispering and caught wind of it. Uh, This is just something that the Spirit of God has said to you. So uh, the best example I can give of this is the story that I shared a couple weeks ago. When I'm sitting, uh, standing in church service a number of years ago, worshiping next to this pregnant lady that I've never met before, I have no idea who she is, and God says to me, tell her I see her and her child, her unborn child, and everything's going to be okay. I had no idea that she had an appointment on Monday. I had no idea that at that appointment, they were going to show some things that concerned the doctors. I had no idea that in that time, she needed a word and encouragement from the Lord that he saw her and was with her. But God did. And so because I was trying to listen and be in the presence of God, practice the presence of God in that moment with humility, right? I said, I think God's telling me this. Scary, huge risk for me to, to, but she needed it. That's a message of knowledge. Let me just say something about this. Sometimes uh, these these two are also kind of connected to prophecy, which is just a message from God. Okay, we'll talk about that in in just a second. Um, Knowledge is power. So anytime we sense that the Spirit is giving us something like this for someone, we want to tread very lightly and with great humility. Okay, We want to do our best to honor what we sense the Spirit saying, but we also want to hold it with humility that maybe I'm misunderstanding or mishearing, or maybe that's not the Spirit at all. So we tread with humility, especially if it's something that we sense that the Spirit is seeming to reveal uh, an issue with someone, a sin, which the Spirit does at times because of his great love for us. When he's been trying to tap us on the shoulder and we don't listen, sometimes he will send someone to give us a message. However, if God ever gives you a message like that, tread with humility, and we always say this, never accuse, always ask questions. Fair? Message of knowledge. The next one is faith. 
that is talked about. Uh, this is extraordinary faith or belief to partner with God to do the impossible. This is a tough one. Uh, Gary and I were actually talking about this because right after uh, faith comes gifts of healing, all right, which is the thing that I often find myself like struggling with the most at times. Uh, Gary said this. He said, yeah, but when it comes to faith, uh, where, when you get sick, where, where do you go first? Is your first inclination to pray? Not me. What do I do? I go grab some Advil, right? <laughs> I call my doctor, right? My back's hurting. I go to the chiropractor. Well, one of the reasons that I think we struggle with faith as, Amer faith as Americans is because of the blessings that we have. I don't need faith when I've got money, when I've got security, when I've got great health care, when I've got good health insurance, when I've got uh, a great auto insurance. Like when I've got all these things built in, I don't really need faith anymore. Now, on the one hand, we trust that the gifts that God has given men and women to make scientific discoveries that help us, that is from God, all right? So we're not anti-science, anti-my wife's a nurse, like I'm all about it, right? At the same token, I do think that one of the curses that comes along with that blessing is way too often we forget that we still need God, that God is still able to do things that other people can't do, which leads us into gifts of healing. Gifts of healing, when God makes a person whole again. When God makes a person whole again. Now, this can be physical, right? God might heal someone from cancer, COVID, heart condition, hearing. Could be emotional. God wants to heal you from anxiety, depression, insecurity, and eating disorder. Possibly relational, healing uh, an abuse that you experienced as a child. Maybe a father wound or abandonment or betrayal from a spouse. They're having a hard time getting over. Could be spiritual. Uh, Jesus wants to heal all of you. We are holistic beings. Jesus wants to heal all of us. Now, it's way easier for me a lot of times to, to think like, yes, I know he wants to heal me spiritually. Or I know he wants to heal me emotionally. It's the physical stuff that I sometimes struggle with. Part of it is because God doesn't do it every time. But I'll tell you, um, I have experience in my own family Miraculous physical healing. Uh, I don't know. If there's no way to explain it other than that. I was talking to a friend this past week, and this is not a friend that you would think is like, you know, hyper Pentecostal, charismatic, got the you know the the worship flags and the tambourine. Like this is like button up West Michigan reformed khakis. Okay, all right. And his daughter was born with hearing loss. She had about 40% hearing. They said it was nerve damage. They did tests. And they went to a church where she was prayed over by some people who felt that God had given them a gift of healing to pass on. And the next, the phone rang, and their daughter startled and started to cry. And so they took a squeak toy behind her and started squeaking it and she started turning and they couldn't believe it because quite honestly that didn't fit exactly into their theology and uh they went to the doctor and the doctor said yeah we don't know i mean yeah it's weird but yeah she's like she's getting she's better he didn't believe it because they were in the south <laughs> How's that for a good Yankee bias? So he went to another hospital up north. 
And they ran tests that they had run a few months earlier and said, yeah, yeah, no, 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 like we have these tests and we have these tests. And I know that that stuff happens. I think sometimes it doesn't actually get talked about a whole lot because quite honestly, uh, we know that everybody's skeptical. And so we just don't talk about it because like we don't want to have to try to defend it all the time. Like, well, no, really, like it really did. Or God wants to do these things in our midst still to this day. He doesn't always though. There's been other things that I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and had prayed over and anointed with oil and had elders pray and God said no. And that's happened in scripture as well. Lazarus is raised from the dead. John the Baptist is not. A woman with an issue with bleeding gets healed. The apostle Paul prays for a thorn in his flesh, in his side, and the spirit doesn't heal it. I don't understand. It is a gift that God wants to do when God wants to do it as he sees fit. Same thing with miraculous powers. I will tell you, I've not heard of, at least personally, since we have started as a church, any gifts of healing or miraculous powers in our midst. I'm not saying that it hasn't happened. I'm just saying I've not heard of it. I hope a year from now, I can't say that anymore. Not because I think that there's something like, ooh, like we're going to turn into like this, that thing or the other, right? But simply because I believe that it's biblical and I want everything. I want us to want everything that God has for us. Will God do it all the time? Nope. Don't think so. Doesn't, never has in the past. Would be surprised if he decided to start now. Doesn't mean that suffering is not a part of the Christian life. It absolutely is. Paul lived hand in hand with miraculous signs and great suffering. They are not two different things. They are all part of the Christian package. But we're not going to get rid of one without looking at the other. Prophecy. This makes you uncomfortable. Just think of this as listening prayer, right? When God gives you a phrase or scripture or idea, dream, vision, maybe from the Spirit, could possibly be for you, but usually it's for somebody else, okay? Distinguishing between spirits, the ability to know if something comes from God or another spirit. This is the ability to know basically what Jesus is up to and what the enemy is up to. So uh, John Mark Comer said this, um, he had a friend uh, who's a pastor overseas and a guy that he just kind of knows, more of an acquaintance. And the guy wrote him an email. Uh, and in the email, this is what the guy said. He just said, tonight during worship, I had the sense that God was saying something to you and to Bridgetown. That's the church that John Mark leads. What I think I heard was that you need to break the spirit of death and suicide among the people. There are young people struggling with thoughts of suicide. Hopelessness has set in. Death is sitting on people's minds and God wants to break that with the spirit of hope and freedom. And John Mark went on to say, he's like, if you know anything about our church, you know that there's truth in that. This was about three years ago when this email came. As I was praying this week and I heard that story, I felt like the Spirit say, that message from that pastor to John Mark was not just for Bridgetown. That message is for TLC as well. You see, friends, there is an enemy that is at war with Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And that same enemy is at war with TLC here in Grand Rapids. That enemy wants to see death, destruction, despair. And if you don't believe that there is a real enemy, real powers that are at work against us, fighting against us, I think you're insane. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think, I think you're, you're like just not being aware of the 
truth of what God's word says and what we experience on a day-by-day uh, reality. I, I want to say to anybody that's sitting here, whether you're online, whether you're sitting here right now, if you have been experiencing thoughts that have been coming that have said, God doesn't care about you. Your lot in life is your lot in life. You've tried to change and you can't change. That's because God's not willing to do it or can't do it. I need you to hear today that those are lies from the evil one. That is not the voice of God. And the voice of God today has told me to say to you in the name of Jesus that he has a plan for you, that he sees you and that he loves you and that he wants to do a new work, that there will be highs in your life and lows in your life, but he is not leaving you behind. And he wants right now for you to know and begin to believe in your mind and your heart that he is for you and that what he has started, he will bring to completion. And if you're having thoughts of ending your life or death or thinking that it's not worth it, know that they are not from him. Those are from the evil one and they are lies. And in the name of Jesus, we say be gone. Friends, the spirit wants to speak. You need to hear that today. Distinguishing between spirits is simply the recognition of what God is doing versus what the evil one is doing. And friends, we need more people with that gift in our church. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but the best way to understand this is these are languages, okay? Languages that you don't understand as an act of prayer and praise to God. Interpretation is when God helps you understand what is being said, even though you don't understand the language yourself, all right? Uh, This is a, a gift that Paul was very, very happy to have. He said he spoke in tongues more than anybody else, but he also said it's really not helpful for the church. It's really an act of prayer. I I don't have the gift of tongues. I've prayed for it. I've asked God for it. He's never given it to me. I'd be thrilled if he did one day. But I know this. It's really about a private prayer language to God. Were there times in the New Testament where they seemed to be known languages that other people understood, but the person saying it? Didn't understand, yeah, but most of the time in the New Testament, uh, the word and, and, and the context helps us understand that it's really probably an angelic or heavenly language. That's why a lot of folks in Corinth actually thought they were better than other people because they're like, I'm farther down the line, man. I know how to speak the heavenly language. And Paul's like, nah. In fact, quite honestly, that's not helpful for the church at all. That's why he puts the most prohibitions. He's like, don't use tongues in church unless you have an interpreter. If there's not an interpreter, shut up. And if there is an interpreter, there still should be only one, maybe two or three at the most that says anything. And you got to have somebody that's interpreting. He's like, I'd rather have one legible word than a thousand words. If you were to continue reading in chapter 13. So is it for today? I don't think any of this stuff is gone. And I want everything that scripture has for us, that God has for us, that the spirit has for us. Is it a little weird for me personally? Yeah, man, I didn't grow up in this tradition. Like, this is a little, but I'm like, God, I'm not going to shrink back from what your word says. I want all of you. And so I want to see, right, if these are for anybody in God's church, not anybody special, but anybody at all who's willing, then let's just say, God, we're willing. We're willing. So my concluding thought is simply this. We want all that the Spirit has for us, right? We don't control the Spirit. He does whatever he wants to do. But we can and should be asking him for all of these things and more. The goal, friends, is not to figure out what gift you have, okay? We don't have to be super 
like locked into what is my gift and I have this one gift and look care way more about getting to know the spirit right the goal is to stay so close to God and aware of the spirit's ongoing work in your life that when he wants to do something through you you're ready and willing that's our goal that's what we want to be as a church and friends together with God's help that's what we will become father God we want all of you we don't want to shrink back God I'll admit as an American I have some skepticism God, in your grace and love, would you remove that? Give me faith. Give us faith. We want to experience the power and presence of your spirit doing what only he can do. We want all of you. So God, would you allow us to just take the next right step towards you? Let us know you and experience you more and more even today. God, not for our sake. Not that we can think that we're cool, but so that your body would be built up, your church would grow in strength, and your kingdom would move forward. We ask these things because of and in the name of the one who made it all possible, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose back to life, who has now sent the Spirit of God to indwell us, the same Spirit that indwelt Christ, the power that resurrected the dead back to life lives in you and me, church. Let us be that church. Let us be that church. Amen.